0: Well, if you would, grab your Bibles, turn your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Again, this, um, I'm so thankful for the opportunity we as a church have to dedicate these children to God and to pray for the parents. Um, it is a hard thing to do in this world, so again, lift them up in prayer, lift each other up in prayer. I was looking over there at Dylan and Jill, and is you were the last ones up here, you know what it's like, and to have that prayer is very much needed well, one day, I heard a story about one day how this, this woman died and she went to heaven. And she's at the gates of heaven and the angel met her there. And the angel said, I see your name's in the, in the book here and you're welcome to come in, but I do need to ask one question before you come in. And she replied, well, what is that question? What is the condition? And he said, you have to be able to spell the word love before you come in. Well, that's easy, she thought. L-O-V-E. The angel said, Well done. You may enter the gates of heaven. Oh, and if you could do me a favor, I have something important I need to discuss with the Lord. So, if you would, would you please stay here at the gate and, and welcome people in? And remember, remember to ask them to spell a word before they come in. Okay. So off the angel went, and here's the woman standing by herself at the gates of heaven. And, and within minutes, her husband comes. And she is shocked. She's like, What are you doing here? Well, I was on the way home from the funeral and I was in an accident. I was killed. And here I am. Well, before you come in, there's a condition. He goes, well, what's the condition? You have to spell a word. Well, what's the word? Czechoslovakia. <laughs> Some people just don't know how to show grace or mercy. That's just the way it comes down to it. And, uh, and that's what we're talking about. Mercy. Not getting what you do deserve and grace, getting what you do deserve. And, and so this grace and mercy... Um, that we often read about um, go hand in hand. And as we're studying Jonah, really we sort of put the grace aside, even though it's all over the book of Jonah. We're focusing on the word mercy. And this whole story of Jonah and it's the story of mercy, we talked about last week how we discovered a prophet who was not acting like a prophet of God. He wasn't very godly at all in his actions. And Jonah tried to run from God. And despite his actions of running, God was very merciful in continuing his pursuit of Jonah. Now, God wants to, as we learned last week, he wants to save all people. Everyone from the person least likely to the person most likely, that you can think of, God wants to save everyone. And we learn that because of his mercy. And here's the thing, though. Even those who he loves, who try to run away from him, God still loves, like Jonah. But Jonah doesn't seem to care about helping others, because as we look through the Scripture, when you think about it, his interaction in the book deals mostly with people who... We're non-believers. But actually, it's almost completely that way throughout the book. And as he's dealing with people who do not believe in God, we don't, we don't have a full view of Jonah. We don't have his facial expressions. We don't see the, 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 the looks that he has or the reaction. We don't have the, the conversations that he has. We, we just look at what we have in front of us, and what do we see? We see the actions of somebody who looks like they don't want to talk to a non-believer. They don't have anything to do with them. Well, so what does he do? He goes in the opposite direction. And as he goes in the opposite direction, he gets on board a ship. Now, I googled pictures for Jonah. And there are the craziest cartoon pictures out there sometimes. A, a great white shark swallowing Jonah. Um, there, there's there's like the sailors who are angry, like they're mean and vicious, throwing them over. And as it's no wonder we are so confused and our kids are confused today about Scripture. When you look at some of these pictures, it's like, that's not how it was. That's not how, you know. I found this one. I just put that one up there. So I want you to sort of get the vision, the thought of he is running from God. He's going to board a ship. And it's a beautiful day, most likely. And he gets on. And what does he do? Instead of hanging out on top and talking to the sailors and other people that might be on board, he just goes right below deck and goes to sleep. He doesn't want to talk. To non-believers. Doesn't want to socialize with others. It's like he doesn't care. Every action he has is like he doesn't care. So we return to chapter 1 today. He's down in the ship thinking, Ah, oh, I'm running from God. I'm on my way. It's a Tarshish. I'm furthest as I can be. And it's all good, right? Oh, but wait, Jonah. There's more to come. Look at with me in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a wind, a powerful wind, over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. God hurls this powerful storm, this powerful wind. The, the, the word hurled here is like, like a javelin, like a spear. He's taking it and just throwing it, right? And it's going to be the same word that's used when they throw the cargo over the ship. It's the same word when they throw Jonah over the ship. There's a lot of throwing going on in this chapter, but God starts it with a big storm. We are told right away, this wasn't any storm. God sent it. And then it's going to be huge. And as you read this, then you start to think, "No, wait a minute, wait a minute. i got a lot of questions for God, but one of them is a moment like this. Somebody's running away from God. So God's like, Boom, I'm throwing something on you. So what's your first thought that comes to mind? That is, is God a God, like a cosmic cop that looks down on us, and he just like grabs us or he pokes us? He's like, I'll get you now for disobeying me. Have you ever had those kind of thoughts? Have you ever had thoughts like, when we sin, does God automatically hurt us? I mean, have, have you ever thought in your life when it's like, man, I had something bad going on my life. This is God. You ever had those kind of thoughts? And when you read this, you almost sit there and think, well, it sort of seems that way, right? So let's, let's try to be somewhat clear on this if we can. The Bible doesn't say every storm or every difficulty is the result of sin, but the Bible does teach that every sin will bring you difficulty. There's a difference there, and I'm trying to make sure that's clear. There, there are consequences to every choice we make, good or bad. And we know that. Every day we make choices, and with every choice comes a consequence. And you think about this, when you make bad choices, you're probably going to have a bad consequence. Achan, when he sinned against God, what happened? Israel was defeated in their very next battle. When David took a census account of the number of people he was told not to do this, what happened? 70,000 people died in the plague. When Jonah ran the opposite way of God, what happened? God hurled a storm upon him. So, when we read through Scripture, it sort of seems like this is the consequence of his sin. So, it looks like there are times when our sin will affect our lives. But here's the thing His sin also affected the lives of the sailors. They didn't do anything wrong. So, in the same way, there's times when you will take the consequences upon your life because of somebody else's sins a drug addict, a drunk driver. I had a cousin killed by a drunk driver. He did nothing wrong. He was the guy that showed up at work praising, uh, singing praise songs to God. But he was killed because of the consequences of somebody else's sin. The murderer, the repeat offender who shoots up a store, the innocent are hurt and sometimes often killed. And we live in a fallen world where there are daily sin storms taking place. And whether you committed a sin or not, you might have to be tasting a part of those consequences. And in this story, it is Jonah who sinned, but it's the sailors who are going to have to taste it as well. And so we think through this, and I'll I'll never forget this too. There are, as a result of stormy times and difficult moments like this, there are times where God uses it for the good. Through a situation where something bad happened, but as a result, something good will come out of it. Because God can do that. Many, many years ago, I'll never forget when my grandma passed away, we gathered at my grandma and grandpa's house after the funeral. And as we were there, we were all getting together, and, and uh, laughter broke out. We started telling stories about grandma, and then other stories about family members. And before we knew it, the house, there was, it was the time of sorrow, but there's a there's a time of happiness and laughter. And it felt good. But my uncle, who didn't know the Lord, was confused. How, during a stormy time, can you find happiness and joy? He left the house, walked down the street a couple blocks to where the pastor lived. He's the one who did our funeral, or the funeral for my grandma. And he was down there for a couple hours. A couple hours later, my uncle comes back, having prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into his life. He, through his stormy time, found Jesus. Jesus. God can take those moments and do incredible things. And the sailors, due to the storm, they're going to discover that God is a God full of mercy and grace. Again, every storm is not the direct result of our sin, but every storm can awaken our hearts to cause us to grow. We don't know how, we don't know why, we we don't know what God can do through a dark stormy time, but we do know that He is God and we can trust Him. Look at verse 5. Fearing for their lives, the desperate, Sailors shouted their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. These sailors were used to sailing, but this was a storm beyond understanding. It was a ferocious storm, it was a great storm, and they feared for their lives. Even as they were professional as they were, they were scared. And they started calling out to their gods, all of them probably from different areas of life, and where if you lived in a different region, a different area, you probably had a different God. There's all kinds of false gods out there. So they're all calling out to their all, all their own gods. You call to your God, I'll call to my God. You call to your God. And, and they're all calling to their God. And, and it's getting very crazy, very hectic. And then the next thing you know, they started throwing stuff overboard. we got to lighten up the ship. So what we we're going to do everything we can do, right? They did all they could do. Except Jonah. They're praying. Jonah's sleeping. They're throwing things overboard. Jonah's sleeping. They're there frantically doing everything they can to tie other things down and and Jonah's sleeping. Jonah's doing nothing. Look at verse 6. So the captain went down after Jonah, went after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he'll pay attention to you and spare our lives. Now we don't know whether he shook him, whether he kicked his boot, whether he rolled him out of the bed. All we know is that he went up to Jonah and he said, how can you sleep during this time? Now look at the next word. He goes, get up. Get up and pray. The same words, by the way, that God used with Jonah. Remember how we started chapter 1? And God came to Jonah and said, Get up, arise, and go. Now, God is saying to Jonah, Get up, rise, go. Now we got this captain, this pagan, who's saying, Get up, arise, and go to your God. Do you see how that worked? God says, Get up and go to the pagans. The pagan says, Get up and go to your God. And Jonah's right in the middle there saying, Oh, that's sort of ironic, right? I think he's clueless to all this. But I wonder, though, as he's sort of drowsy and sort of wakes up, and thinks, I've heard those words before. It was God when he told me to get up, right? So he gets up, he goes up above, and there's the crew. What are they doing? Look at verse 7. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused a terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. This was once a beautiful day when they launched. Bon voyage! They set sail. Everybody's happy, right? And now it's turned into total chaos. The crew knows this is a supernatural storm. This is not natural. This is supernatural. That's why they're praying to their gods. Now they're looking to see whose fault it is because it's supernatural. And they cast lots. It falls on Jonah. The lots were originally little stones or possibly bones, and they colored on one side, light on the other, and they would roll them like dice to see who the guilty party was. You can read in Scripture at different times in the Old Testament, Joshua 18, 1 Chronicles 24, Leviticus 16, and when you'll see people casting lots to figure out what we're supposed to do. Matter of fact, in the book of Acts, after they decide, we need a new disciple, Judas isn't here anymore, they cast lots to pick the next disciple. But here's the interesting thing, after the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came, after we have the Holy Scriptures, there were no more mentioning of casting lots. Could it be that's because now God speaks to us through His Word and God speaks to us through His Spirit? But we do know this, Proverbs 16, 33, Solomon said, We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. In other words, you can throw a dice and get the basis for your deduction for what you're going to do in life, but here's the thing. God is sovereign over all things. If God wants to roll the dice a certain way so you get the results, he will do that. And in this situation, they cast the lots, boom, they are like, Jonah's the guilty one. And they looked at him, and they started asking him his questions. Look at verse 8. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Here's the thing. This is how they investigated in, in, in scripture in old times. They want to know everything about you. What what is your occupation? What is your job? What do you do? Where do you come from? Where do you live? What is your nationality? Right? Jonah skips the first three questions and just goes right to question number four. And, and oh, by the way, the reason they're doing this is because they figure out where you're from. We're gonna call on your God. <laughs> We've tried all of our gods. Where are you from? Because now that will tell us what kind of God you serve, so now we can call on your God. Look at, look at Jonah's response. He skips all three and he goes right to question four. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. They're like, why did you do it? A Hebrew? You're, you're a Hebrew. We know your God because you see, we are sailors. We live in a port. We have people to come in and out. We've heard about your God. He's the God who had all those plagues in Egypt. He is the God who parted the Red Sea. He is the God that led the children of Wilderness through the wilderness for 40 years, taking care of them. A cloud of smoke by day, a pillar of fire by night, manna throughout 40 years feeding. We've heard about your God. He parted the Jordan, and you went through. You, your God annihilated Jericho. We've heard about your God. Why are you running from him? That's a good question. If we only knew the God that we worship, why would we run from him? I think we could all ask ourselves that question on a day-to-day basis, right? Look at verse 11. Since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me in the sea, Jonah said. It will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Now, after casting lots, doing their investigation, everything they needed to do, they still showed respect to Jonah by not throwing him in the sea. Instead, what did they do? They rode harder. Let's work harder. We're not going to throw him overboard. They outshine Jonah at every angle. I, they worked, He sleeps. they pray. He doesn't. They handled the crisis to the best of their ability. He was ignoring the crisis. They did it all while Jonah did nothing. and Jonah knows this storm is from God. Jonah says, "My fault, my bad. Sorry." And yet he does nothing. He doesn't pray. He, he could have very well got on his knees right then and there. He could have said to the sailors, hey, you know what? We all need to repent. We all need to follow this this God that I worship. Matter of fact, let's worship him right now. But he doesn't even do that. He doesn't seem to care is what it looks like. And then it makes me wonder, am I like Jonah at times? In a the, in the stormy world that we live in? Am I content with the storm and not using the storms around me right now to reach out to those who are hurting? To pray with those that need prayer? I think about this. Have we used our resources to reach the lost? Are we really caring about a sinking ship? Sometimes I hear people say, I think non-Christians can sometimes be friendlier than Christians. I've heard restaurant owners say, you know, people who tip the best? Non-believers. Non-believers. Christians on Sunday don't tip good. It's like, really? Not, probably not every restaurant. Not every Christian. Surely none of us, right? We're all perfect in here. But supposedly that's what I hear. There are times when we just, we let others outshine us. And this is what's happening here. Here they are. They're in the same boat. They're experiencing the same problem together. And we all react differently during the storm. Right? I heard that at the beginning of COVID. Hey, we're all in the same boat together. That's true, but we all react differently. And what we learn here, it's not just about how we react, but how we treat each other in the storm. To me, I think that's important. When well, we got a storm going on around us, how we react to the storm, yes. But you know what? How are we treating each other? Are, are we being loving with one another? Are we striving for unity, for peace? In a, in a political COVID time of distress how are we treating each other we got to be careful of shutting off people who are different than us let's show them some love right i know oftentimes it's it's easy to be content with like well but I, i like hanging out with just christians only i get that every time i go into a school and i talk to an fca huddle i tell them you're a huddle you meet at your school and that's great You come together for, to, to learn more about God. That, that's awesome. I said, but you need to break the huddle and go run the play. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like a football team. They circle up, they call the, they call the play in the huddle, they break the huddle, they get up the line, they snap the ball and they actually run a play. For those of you that are football uh, fanatics, you're gonna watch football today, you're gonna see these guys get up the line. Not one of them are gonna stand up at the football line and fold their hands and like, just stand there. And you won't see a referee come up and say, hey, you guys gotta run the, run the play. Now, we're just going to stand here. We're going to get paid millions regardless of what we do. So we're just going to stand here. And the coach is going to be on the sideline yelling, run the play, run the play. That's like God who looks down on this church. And we gather together like a like a huddle right here. And I'm calling a play this morning. When I get done, you're going to go run the play. And sometimes, though, it's so easy just to, let's just huddle. I like huddling. I don't like running plays. But our God looks down on us and says, go run the play. That's what I tell these kids at school all the time and and to our church as well. I believe that we were created to shine. What God was telling Jonah is no different than what Jesus told his disciples. Go, make disciples, right? Matthew 20. How about Matthew chapter five, verses 14 and 16? Jesus said this, you, he's talking to us. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp, and puts it under a basket, Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, church, listen, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. We are told to let our lights shine. So are we shining? Or are we hiding our faith? Do we care about a lost world? When it gets stormy, do we as Christians go under deck and hide and sleep? Or do we come up on deck and pray with those in need? It was just a few weeks ago. I was over at Paulding High School. I got done speaking to the school. Kids are sort of exiting out. Athletic director comes over. Teacher comes down uh, that was helping with their huddle. And we were talking and, and just said, you know, man, there is something going on in the schools today. We need to pray for these kids. So right there, middle of the gym floor, bowed our heads and we prayed and for the next five minutes we just lifted up the school to, the, to God and just prayed for other schools got done two hours later there's a basketball in that same gym on that Friday night and during the game in the third quarter I think it was um, the, one of the grandfathers of one of the ball players had a heart attack they had to stop the game they had to get everybody out of the gym as the emergency people came in and out in the, out in the lobby area where everybody was gathered all the students were huddled up somebody I don't know who somebody stepped in and said, we need to pray. And the kids and others gathered up and they circled up and prayed. See, that was a stormy situation. And in that situation, somebody decided to be somebody different than Jonah. Somebody said, it's time to shine. This is a stormy situation. We need to pray, church. And somebody did. When I think about that moment, when a storm hits, it's a great opportunity to shine for Jesus. Jesus. But let's pause and consider Jonah's view in this moment. He's telling them, hey, just throw me in the sea. Throw me in the sea. I mean, is he being, I wondered, is he being noble here? Maybe a little selfless? Or is he still being repentant or defiant? Which one is it? Now, you notice he says, if you throw me in the sea, everything will calm down. It'll all be good. It makes you wonder if he's starting to show a little pity for the non-believers on board. Like, you know what? I'm going to make it easy for you guys. Just throw me overboard and you guys will all be safe. Or is he like, I am not going to Nineveh. I'd rather die in this ocean. I, I don't know what's going on in his mind. But what he, what he didn't realize is that he gave us a picture of what Jesus did for us. It's called substitutionary love. It's a beautiful thing. That's what love is. is, is when you give up something of yourself because you love others. Parents, or some parents in here, you read to your kids, and some of you, is like your, my kids are all growing up now, but I used to read to them all the time. That is very sacrificial, because you know the importance of reading to children is huge. It's huge. And you will read to them, and so you give up your time to read. Some of you, maybe are teachers in here, coaches, maybe you've gone out and you bought your own resources to help in the classroom. That's sacrifice, that's love. For some of you, when you volunteer, some, some people will attend first service, nine o'clock, so they can serve in children's church or the nursery. They, they, they give up a couple hours on a Sunday morning. Now they're just like, I'm just going to come here and just worship one time. Like, I want to come worship, but I'm also going to serve that's love. See, there's a lot of ways when you give up something of yourself to help somebody else, that's substitutionary love. And I was talking to Chris Garcia the other day. He's still in a wheelchair. He's going to be in a wheelchair for a while. And I said, is there anything we can do for you? And he's like, I actually got a buddy that's coming over to help me. with a lot of things that I can't do myself anymore. And I'm thinking, that's love. I, you know, how many times like, hey, can I come over and, and, and help you with some personal things that maybe you can't do on your own? It's like, man, that's That's love. When we love like this, it changes us and it changes others. You know why? Because it's, it's transformational love. It's being like Jesus through Scripture. Look at these Scriptures. I'm going to put them up on the screen. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Romans 3.25 says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in in times past. Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. And finally, 1 John 2 2 and 1 John 4 10 says this He himself, that's Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, Jesus dealt with the wrath of God and our sins by taking our place, He took the punishment that we deserve. He was that substitute for us. That's love. And some people are like, I don't like an angry God. I don't like a God who's a God of wrath. If you do not have an angry God, a God of wrath, then that is robbing God of His holiness and His justice, and it diminishes the love and praise of what Jesus did for us. Think about that. Jesus was condemned so that we would not be. As a God who substitutes himself for us and suffers so that we can be free he's a god we can trust and i'm wondering jonah you what you're doing that's that's a picture of what was coming but i don't know if jonah really knew that because i sit there and think I, i i still think he was running from god because if he was really sorry he should have been on his knees repenting before god right there god i'm so sorry guys turn the ship around let's go back the other direction And and if he's really repentant and he's thinking this is the way to end it, then just jump in. Why are you telling the sailors to throw you in? You know what that's like, causing somebody else to throw you in? You are now putting upon them. They're going to think about that the rest of their life mentally. I lifted him up, but I was the one that threw him in. Why would you put that upon somebody else, Jonah? If you're going to jump in, if you think getting in the water is the way it's going to happen, then just please jump Look what happens next, verse 14. They cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for this death. See, they're already thinking about it. Oh, Lord, you've sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sealers picked Jonah up, threw him in the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sealers were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and he offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. I have no idea what that moment looked like. I, you know, I, I'm picturing. Okay, guys, ready? A one, a two. Was it like that? Or, or was it pictures like on Google? Was it like, let's throw them overboard? I think they were fearful. They're like, oh, man, God, do not hold us responsible. And I think in fear, they threw them overboard. And when they did, the storm stopped. It said It ceased. And the sailors were seized by a greater fear. Oh, they were scared of the storm. it says they had a greater fear for what just took place. Because we know this, what? The fear of the Lord, it says in the book of Psalm 111, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. And all who obey his commands will grow in wisdom. See, when we read through the Bible, so I think sometimes we forget to have a fear of the Lord. There's going to need to be a healthy balance there. Some of us like, but I grew up in a church where I... I was afraid of everything. And it's like, okay, that's not maybe not a great healthy fear, but there should be a fear of the Lord. When you read through scriptures, the Bible, God is always being defined by his power and he was one who was feared. The psalmist, the writers talk about his divine control over the oceans and the lands and the universe. In the book of Psalms, thirty-three, seven, it says this: He assigned the sea its boundaries, locked the oceans in its vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord; let everyone stand in awe of Him. Why? Because He's like when we take a pitcher of water, we pour it in a glass, and pour it in a glass. That's what God does with the ocean; He pours it in the ocean, in that ocean. That's how powerful He is, and He should be feared. And you think about when when Jesus was was in the boat. Remember the storm that came, and the disciples they were they were just freaking out and scared. And he's like, we're going to die. And Jesus stands up and he's like, peace. Be still. Stopped. And right away the disciples were like, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? This is Jesus, church. This is the Jesus for whose under banner we march. This is Jesus, church, who is sovereign over the affairs of our time. This is Jesus, church, Why would we run from him? Why would we run from him? The overall plan of God is to come and reach the lost. And he will show mercy as he does it. Through Jonah, a storm, and a man overboard, the lost find God. So I don't know if you're in here this morning. And you're running like I talked about last week. You're just trying to run away from God. Maybe he's given you a divine assignment. And you're like, I don't want to do it. God will use what he needs to use to get your attention. He used the sea as an instrument of punishment and discipline for a reluctant prophet. And God will do what he needs to do to reach the loss. He will even sink you and your ship before you arrive at a wrong destination. He loves you that much. You think, why am I going through this? Because he's about ready to save you from going somewhere you should not go. If a storm has grabbed your attention, let me ask you this. Have you repented? Are you ready to turn around? Whether the storm has come as a result of your bad choice or somebody else's bad choices, recognize it for what it is and get it right with him. You know, you conclude uh, the chapter one here, the verse that really should be tied into chapter two, but we'll get into it next week about the great fish that comes along. And uh, the great fish that comes along is that God arranges a moment of mercy. Again, an instrument that he was supposed to show to these non-believers God shows to him. Worship team, would you come forward? There, there's, there's a lot we can learn here and, and God may have alerted you to something this morning, something that as I was preaching, maybe like God was saying, he's just speaking to you. I don't know what he said. But I know for me, as I was studying and preparing, I, 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 here's the first thing I learned and that is this, no one lives to himself. So you, you can't run away and disobey God and expect everybody else to be fine. It doesn't work that way. Either you'll go down or you'll take other people down with you. Here's the second thing I learned as I was studying. And that is this. It's time to come up on deck. It's time to stop being a sleeping church. We cannot be ignoring those who are struggling. There's a world that's like the sailors today. That are struggling and screaming out. Praying to a bunch of false gods. And we know the true God. We need to come up on deck, church, and we need to let people about, know about the God that we worship and not be scared of it and not be embarrassed of it. I want to encourage you, if, if you know somebody that, that's going through a stormy time, invite them to church. Well, I don't know if they'll come. It, does, it doesn't matter what, what you think, whether they will or will not. The question is, will you invite them? We've got empty chairs. We can start a third service. We can do what we need to do. The question is, are we inviting people to church? Are we encouraging them to be a part of worshiping the God that we worship? And here's the last thing I learned as I was studying through this, is this, I wonder if Jonah would have gone in the right direction in the first place had somebody been there with him. I mean, Jonah's the story about this lone prophet here, but here's the thing. What if, what if Jonah, when he, God first told him, get up and go, and he starts to go out the door to the to the head towards the port, and one of his buddies is like, Hey, 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 Jonah, where you going? I'm uh heading off to Tarsus Whoa, why tar? That seems weird. Well, God said to go to Nineveh, and I uh, God told you to, go to Nineveh? Man, you need to go to Nineveh. Yeah, I'll walk with you. A little scary, isn't it? I mean, I those people I know you don't want to talk. I'll go with you. I wonder if somebody would have connected with Jonah and walked with him would his life been different and I don't know how you're doing with connecting with people in this church it's like well there's a lot of people in here I don't know I've just been visiting nobody said hi to me and, and uh, maybe we haven't been connected to a small group of Bible study east west whatever it may be I understand we don't have Sunday school we don't have Wednesday night uh, adult education we just don't have room in here because we've got all the kids we try to offer opportunities for you to connect and sometimes it's hard but it's like you know what Maybe we just all need to be a little bit more intentional in trying to connect. Maybe your nurse is like, hey, uh, I would love to volunteer and be a part of a team that maybe every other month we figure out a way to connect people more. I'd love to help with that. See me afterwards. But what if we had somebody to walk with us? Maybe we wouldn't walk in the wrong direction. Maybe somebody will walk us with us in the right direction and encourage us as we go. Would you stand, please? Last thing I learned is this. I don't need to wait for a storm to start worshiping God. Why am I waiting for something bad to happen before I need to get on my knees? Every day is a good day to worship God. When I wake up in the morning, why don't we just start worshiping and praising that? Let it set the tone. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody in this room right now that doesn't know you, that they can pray right now to you in just a simple prayer of repentance saying I'm sorry to ask for forgiveness right where we're at we can pray God forgive me forgive me my sins I'm sorry I want to follow you come into my life help me Lord to, to, to walk in a way that honors you help me to pursue you and as a Christian if you're in this room as a Christian what is God asking you to do be obedient. Don't run from him. He'll track you down. Not because he's an angry God, because God, you are a God who loves us. And you love us too much to see us go in the wrong direction. Thank you, God, for being a God of mercy. We love you, Lord. We want to worship you now in song. In thy name we pray. Amen.